You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Welcome to episode 88 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. For those of you who may be listening to this show for the first time, let me give you a quick intro to myself and what exactly this show is. My name is Derek Diamond. I am the host of this show. I've been doing this podcast for close to two years now. I'm an aspiring filmmaker. I currently work in the creative service department of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos baseball team. And the reason for starting this podcast is I've always had this fascination with learning about people. I haven't always liked people, but I've always been fascinated by them, especially those who work in a quote-unquote creative type of environment, whether it be a writer, an artist, a filmmaker, actor. I've always been fascinated with their story, their journey, why they chose this career instead of something else, what made them decide to pick that career, what were the steps they took to get there, was it easy, was it difficult, would you do anything different now, just little things like that I've always been fascinated with, so through going to conventions and meeting a lot of cool people, I decided to launch this podcast, and I've been doing it since March of 2014. And I've had the opportunity to talk with so many cool people. One of those you'll be hearing this week, and that will be Star of Mallrats, Party of Five, I'll Fly Away, so many great things, Jeremy London. I met Jeremy briefly back at Pensacon in 2015. He was a guest there, and I did an exit interview with him for the Pensacon staff. And just in that brief encounter I had with him, I could tell he was a really nice guy, really laid back, easy to talk to. And I wanted to have him on the podcast because being a huge fan of the Kevin Smith movies and Mallrats being up there near the top of the list, I wanted to talk with him about the behind the scenes aspect of that movie, what it was like working with Kevin Smith, how did he get the role as T.S., what made him want to get into acting, some of his other projects he's worked on like Party of Five, I'll Fly Away. He made his directorial debut recently with his film, The Devil's Dozen, which I've watched, and it's really good. You should check it out. It's available on iTunes, I believe. And he also teaches an acting class uh, in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and we actually were able to set up this interview through a mutual friend of ours, Jason Robbins. So, Jason, shout out to you if you are listening. And speaking of Pensacon, if you are in the Pensacola area, Jeremy London will be back at Pensacon this year, which will be... February 19th through the 21st at the Pensacola Bay Center. There's actually going to be a big Mallrats reunion with Jason Mewes, Michael Rooker, and several other people. But getting to talk with Jeremy was great. I had a lot of fun uh, learning more about his career, and I hope you guys have as much fun listening to it as I had conducting the interview. But before we get to that, I have a quick question for you. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out Atomics, the brand new EP from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, featuring the vocals of Joey Trincali. It has three brand new tracks, including their single Tomorrow's Plan, which happens to be the theme song of this very podcast. This EP is unlike anything the Unicorn Wranglers have done before. So support local music and check out Atomics, which is available now on iTunes and Spotify for only $2.97. That's $2.97, people. That's cheaper than a meal at Taco Bell. 
You can't beat that. So go on iTunes, go on Spotify, and get Atomics. Don't forget, you can also follow the Unicorn Wranglers on social media. Like them on Facebook. Just search for, you guessed it, the Unicorn Wranglers. You can also follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. And finally, don't forget to visit their website, theunicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeremy London. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, you may know him from Party of Five or Mallrats. I have Mr. Jeremy London on the line. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. How you doing, brother? Doing very good. Doing very good. Uh, I wanted to start off this uh, interview by asking you, you know, you've, you've been acting for quite a while, but what was it that made you want to get into acting? Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, the, to, to tell you the truth, uh, I grew up uh, on a farm in Oklahoma for a long time and, and then moved to Texas when we lost our farm. And so the, being in movies wasn't anything that was very realistic. Anything that we really thought about was, you know, as like something like that was like a realistic goal. I'm sure we, you know, we thought about it and we uh, were, we were always creative and, uh, you know, my twin brother and I, and uh, we were always in plays and that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, it really took me getting injured uh, in base in a baseball accident uh, to sort of sideline me from sports, which is where I was, I thought I was headed. I was uh, uh, being scouted for a baseball, potential baseball scholarship. And I, um, destroyed my hamstring uh and uh the only other thing in school that i was really interested in doing was uh, there was there was drama i mean i was i basically was uh, i really couldn't do much about anything else because i couldn't walk for several months um and uh and so i got into just this drama class in uh in school and uh it seemed to kind of be in, uh, just something that I, I tended to be pretty decent at uh i uh, you know realized whenever i actually started getting into the business that i you know, I wasn't nearly as good as I always thought I was. Um, I certainly uh, uh, had a, a, you know, a lot of reality smacked into me as soon as I really got into it. But, but uh, it really kind of was just one of those things that uh, sort of fate played its part. You know, I really, uh, I don't know if had I not got hurt um, playing baseball, I don't know if I'd be acting. I don't know what, you know. What position did you play in baseball? Well, I was a catcher. Uh, okay. But I was on. The, I made the Texas All Star baseball team, the, uh, the Texas All Star team, and so I was actually on the state team. Uh, and we, I would rotate out with uh, the right fielder, so I'd play. I would catch one game, and then uh, he, and then I would switch out with him, and I would play right field, and he would catch, and then we'd switch off into. So I we won our first game that I caught, and then went to right field in the second game, and somebody hit a ball out to me, and uh, I dove for it, and. My blew a hamstring in the process, and my, my yeah, my baseball career was done. That's unfortunate. That, that that sounds painful. I haven't had really any type of injury like that, but uh, that sounds oh, painful. It's, it was like blowing a tire, man. It was bad. It was bad. My whole the whole muscle just kind of sort of just blew out. It was no fun. Uh but there, that that's cool. I, I had actually had no idea that that you played baseball. That's that's really cool though. I, yeah, I, I played all kinds of sports growing up. Yeah, I, the closest thing I, I I do production work for our uh, our minor league baseball team here, so I'm I'm around baseball quite a bit. All oh, right, on. where are you exactly? In uh, Pensacola, Florida. Oh, right on. Very cool. Yeah, Welcome. yeah. I've I've worked there for uh, the team's been around for now upcoming five years, and I've worked there for four of those five. So that's great, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 
it, there's not a lot of you know production work around here, which is what I went to school for. So you got to take what you can get. Yeah, absolutely, of course. But uh, how how was it that you actually got into the acting business? Like, did did you go to any type of uh, like college and then get a degree in acting, or was it just one of those like you just get lucky, basically? Well, uh, it was a, 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 a it was a lot of luck, uh, but I mean, we were taking acting uh, classes with this guy named David Payne in Dallas, Texas. And he happened to know one uh, casting director, a lady named Sherry Rhodes, who is a legend in the business. Uh, he was like an extra in the movie Tender Mercies or something like that. And I think she cast it. She she cast Mississippi Burning and stuff like that. But she also cast the very first movie that my brother and I were ever involved with, uh, which was Reese Witherspoon's first movie, uh, uh, The Man in the Moon. And uh, so because we were taking these acting classes in Dallas and David Payne happened, just happened to know one casting director uh, who was coming to town with the movie that she was looking to cast, which was The Man in the Moon, um, he was able to get us in on this audition. And uh, I was really excited about it uh, because it was something that I really had started I had started. I got started getting all the leads in the plays and stuff like that. And so I was really kind of becoming an actor. My twin brother really wasn't so much. He didn't really care that much about it. It was something he was, he'd do, but he really it wasn't like a passion of his really so much. So uh, whenever the audition for the Man in the Moon came to town to Dallas, uh, he was the only one of us that had a car at the time, and I, I literally had to force him to go on the audition. <laughs> and uh, and he wound up getting the role in the movie. <laughs> So it was really literally our first audition we ever went on, uh, and I kind of had to force my brother to go on it. Uh, the bastard got the role. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was I was more than thrilled. I was way more. It was the funny part about it was I was so much more excited about him getting the role in the movie than he was. He really didn't even know what he signed up for. He was like, okay, now now what? What is what is what is this? He's like, yeah, I didn't. He literally was just so cool because he didn't want to be there. Everybody else was like all nervous because they really, really wanted to be there. You know. Yeah, exactly, and it, it's kind of funny how that works out because usually the ones who like, – I've noticed in a lot of situations like the ones who are maybe not necessarily indifferent but aren't – you know, they don't want to be there as much. They end up getting put in the best situation, and everybody else is like, oh, damn it. How did you get that? So no, I, I, I totally understand, and, and a lot of not, not a lot of people know that uh, your twin – or one, that you have a twin brother, and two, that he's an actor as well. Well, I think a lot of people know by now, but you know there are still plenty of people that don't know. Yeah, there, there are several people that I, I've talked to and mentioned that, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know he had a brother." Because well, I'm, I was a, I'm a big fan of all of you know Kevin Smith's movies, and I, I was mentioning that the other day at work actually, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know that he had a twin brother who acted." Yeah, Dazed and Confused, uh, mm-hmm. you know, The Man in the Moon, uh, all kinds of tons of movies. Jason's been in a lot of bigger movies than I have. I've been a lot on a lot more TV shows, but he's been in a lot more movies. So uh, soon after that, uh, you were cast in uh, a series called I'll Fly Away. Oh, yeah. And uh, how did you get uh, the role? You, your character's name was Nathan Bedford, and how was your experience doing that? Uh, it was amazing. Once again, Sherry Rhodes, who we had formed uh, the wonderful relationship with on The Man in the Moon, She helped me uh, with uh, the audition process and helped put me on uh, tape and sent my tape to Los Angeles. And they were literally under the gun, they were under the wire. 
and uh, saw my tape and hired me off my tape uh, blew my mind. I, I just I was I was blown away. But yeah, literally, she just she helped me make sure I, I nailed the audition, and then she sent it to L.A. for me and got it straight to uh, Josh Brandon, John Falsey, the executive producers who created the show, and you know the same people who created the show, uh, you know, great shows like St. Elsewhere and Northern Exposure, mm-hmm. those types of great shows. And so they, um, cast me, uh, man, and all of a sudden I was, uh, went from being a senior in high school to almost, uh, yeah, I was literally like a couple of weeks from graduating, had just completed my senior thesis. I still never got my, I still have no idea what I scored on my senior thesis, by the way. It drives me crazy. I worked on that thing for months, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I literally, <laughs> I literally uh, dropped out of school and went straight to Atlanta, Georgia and started making a bunch of money and working on a television show for two years that won the Emmy for Best Drama. Wow, that's weird. crazy. Yeah. Wow. I, I had no idea you went pretty much straight from high school to acting. That's nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, was, I was. I just finished uh, playing the lead in The Music Man. We did uh, a, a, a musical uh, a play at school, and I was the lead in – that and it went over it was gosh it was spectacular it was really really well done we were getting accolades from uh some um off-broadway sources and from new york that heard about us that came down to see us this little school in just south of dallas it's pretty cool uh, we got a lot of attention for it and uh, uh i just sort of i guess parlayed that energy into uh getting myself onto a TV show somehow. It was pretty major, amazing, actually. I was, I'm still uh, amazed by all of it whenever I think back. You know? oh, that, that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, from, from there, you went, uh, Mallrats came uh, soon after that. Uh, how did you get the role on Mallrats, and how was it you know, working on something that now is such a, a huge cult hit and, you know, working with Kevin Smith and so many great people. How was your experience doing that? Uh, it was incredible. It was, it was great. Uh, uh, it's, you know, probably one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had, uh, for sure. I can remember so much about uh, working on that movie. And uh, I've, you know, now done 70 some odd movies. I can't say the same about really many other movies I've done besides like gods and generals. It was incredible. I was actually, I believe the first person that they cast in the movie. I walked in, I remember walking in and I saw Don Phillips who had cast my brother in uh, days and confused. And uh, I knew he was, you know, uh, a big Jason London fan. I I never really felt like he was much of a fan of mine. So I didn't really know if that was going to be a detriment or help me or whatever, but I, uh, uh, got to go in i just did this the scene that there's if you get if you ever get the extended version or whatever you see the scene that they cut out of the movie and we reshot the beginning of the movie there was an original scene that we shot uh that we shot on top of a a, a 30-story building in like minus 30 degree weather it was freezing it was brutal and they wound up cutting the scene out of the movie and reshooting the the beginning of the scene but that scene was the audition scene and i literally i just came in and i met uh Kevin Smith and uh, I did the scene and uh, after I did the scene Kevin's eyes were just like big and he goes dude will you do that if I can Phillips will you do that, do that again do what you just did and I was like uh yeah sure <laughs> so he ran out he like ran out of the room and went and got Don Phillips and brought Don in and just I did the scene again and by the time I finished the scene they all just were like giddy like schoolgirls, and they literally like uh, Kevin was just like 
you're in. You are TS. You are it. <laughs> and it was weird. <laughs> I, it happened really fast. I, like, I knew I had the role before I left the room. And, uh, and so then they had me uh, coming back to, uh, to help find all of the other roles, to you know, cast other roles. And it was funny because, you know, my uh, young, youthful uh, ego thinking I knew everything, uh, I really didn't think Jason Lee was very good because he really, honestly, all he did was ever read the scenes. He never was off book. He was never really acting. He was never really interacting really with anybody because he was still just reading everything. Um, a little, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know he was a famous skater or anything like that. And so I thought he was an actor. And it was just kind of strange to me that the person that, that kept Kevin kept sort of sort of it seemed to be like his top choice was the guy that wasn't acting with anybody. Everybody else was acting, you know, and there were a couple of people that I thought were hysterical, you know, little bit, but Kevin just has this ability to see, uh, like quirky things in people that work, you know? And I think that he saw it in Jason Lee and, you know, certainly proved me wrong. Uh, you know, what did I know? Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it was a trip. It was a trip, the whole process. And uh, it was uh, freezing when we shot it. I mean, we were shooting in the freezing cold in Minnesota during January, February. And uh, we were shooting at a mall in off hours. So we were shooting from 8 o'clock at night till 8 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, which was miserable. You know, it's freezing out. You don't see daylight. I mean, we literally didn't see night. I mean, we didn't see darkness for like two months because we were, you know, in neon lights all through the night. And then we'd the sun would be coming up by the time we get off work and we have to be like funny at five and six o'clock in the morning. You know, it was, it was kind of brutal really, you know, but at the same time it was still great. You know, we'd, we'd just sort of all switched our schedules around. Everybody just started partying at eight 30 in the morning instead of eight 30 at night. Now that that's awesome. Cause I mean, I, I, I've heard the stories, you know, like all the behind the scenes stuff with you guys shooting from, you know, dusk until dawn after hours in a mall. Um, but when, you know, like after the movie came out, you know, I mean, it's been documented that it didn't do that great in theaters, but now it has this huge cult following and it's so many people's favorite Kevin Smith film. Around when did you realize how successful this movie was? Oh, like 10 years after we made it, at least. I mean, it was at least 10 years. Uh, it was one of those things that we went to the, when I went to the premiere, the premiere was so successful. And there were so many people there, and it was so funny, and everybody laughed their asses off, and it did so well that I thought it was just going to be a blockbuster, you know. And so flew my dad in uh, from Oklahoma and took him to the, a theater, and we were going to go to a movie theater and watch, go there and, you know, sit in the middle of the crowd and watch the crowd enjoy the movie. We got there, and there was like, you know, it was like crickets. There was like six people in the theater, and I think four of them left during the show <laughs> so wow. i was like this is not what i thought this was gonna be this is not what i expected and uh you know i just i you know in in retrospect uh the reason it's as successful as is uh, now is because it's one of those movies that uh was too smart for just one sitting uh, you, you have to, it took people being at home with their beers and their bongs and their, you know, <laughs> being able to, being able to watch it over and over and really get into the nuances of the script. When people started realizing that how brilliant it actually was, it's, it's actually quite clever. Um, but you know, I can relate to it in a sense because I walked out of, uh, Anchorman whenever I went and saw it in the movie theater. I thought it was one of the 
first things I'd ever seen. And I wound up walking out of the theater. I thought this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And now it's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I can watch that movie, you know, over and over and over because it is, once again, it's yeah, on the surface level. If you just watch it one time and you're not catching all of the little inside jokes, it is ridiculous, but it's supposed to be. It's all the inside, you know, the, 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 all the repeatable lines and stuff that people love. Right. And it seems like every time you watch it, especially if you watch it years later, you catch something that you had completely forgot about. It's the same thing with Mallrats. Because yeah. I, I, I watched it uh, probably about two months ago for the first time in three or four years. And there were, you know, parts that I didn't remember at all and just even new things that I caught. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I get that. It so holds I, up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it holds up, you know. I think that's why it's. Uh, I think it's one of those movies that's gained momentum because of the fact that it does hold up. It's not really. Uh, it's not. There's not. It, it, it's kind of timeless, you know. It, it doesn't. It took place in the '90s, but you know, almost everybody can relate to it in some form or fashion. And and regardless, the ridiculousness of the script is just. It's fun, you know. It's just too many movies take themselves seriously. You know, it's just one of those movies that just doesn't. And that's something that I love about those those Kevin Smith movies is that, you know, that it's really good writing, but it's just fun. They're fun movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kevin makes movies for uh, sort of what movies are supposed to be made for, which is make-believe and fun and adventure and ridiculousness and see what you can get away with. You know, I mean, he's pushing levels, pushing boundaries. Some of the stuff he does works, some of it doesn't. But, you know, it's only a risk if you don't do it. And it, it's nice when you can get into a position of being able to just say, screw it and do whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. So he got, he's got himself to a position where he can make the movies that he wants to make. And, uh, you know, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty amazing. I, I went to one of his Q&A sessions late last year in Orlando and he was talking about making the newer movies like, you know, Tusk and then, you know, upcoming he'll have Moose Jaws, Yoga Hosers. And people were asking him why he wanted to do different types of movies. And his simple answer was, why not? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, this, I think that applies to a lot of things is just why not? Like, and, and you don't know if it's going to work unless you actually do it. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't all be, you know, Quentin Tarantino where you uh, – where you know coming out of the gates without watching one frame of it that there's just going to be a bunch of uh, cussing and uh, blood and guts in it. Uh, it's much more fun to mix it up and change it up. Who wants to make the same freaking movie every time? It would get old, you know. I mean, good Lord, if you've got the ability to just make a completely different movie every time, why would you not? Why pigeonhole yourself into a certain genre fact is is that the people that uh, love kevin's movies uh love each one of them for a different reason or they hate each one of them for a different reason uh you know they're there's it's it's pretty hot and cold you know uh but uh it's uh one of those things that he's kind of it's i don't know he just kind of got under everybody's skin over the last un, under everybody's skin for the last 20 years and now people love it you know it took a long time but it finally happened it's funny how that works out. But yeah. uh, uh, moving on to uh, another television series that you worked on, uh, Party of Five, which was a really popular show in the 90s. Uh, how was your time on Party of Five? I was brilliant. It was 
one of the best gigs I ever had for sure. I mean, the people were wonderful. The scripts were wonderful. The producers were wonderful. Uh, the opportunity, uh, made me relevant. It put me on the map. Now, it was one of those things that I was just very blessed to be able to be a part of something that good. You know, I wish I would have known back then what I knew now, what I know now, you know, I probably would have had a lot more fun with it. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, people, everybody does that. I mean, I, I look back at situations too, like it, looking back on situations that happened back then, you, you know, wish you would appreciate it the more, but I mean, it, it was, it was a really good show. I, it was one of those that I, I watched, you know, when I was younger. So I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a blessing to be a part of that for sure. And you mentioned uh, you were in uh, gods and generals, which yes. is, you know, a little different than mall rats or uh, party <laughs> of five. Uh, how, yeah. how was doing something with a, a more serious tone compared to, you know, mall rats, which is a comedy. Well, that's right. It's the most fun I've ever had playing a character. I played a real person from history that existed. Uh, you know, Captain Sandy Pendleton was uh, Stonewall Jackson's right-hand man. He was the only person that Stonewall Jackson cared for enough that he referred to him uh, by his first name. Everybody else he referred to him, by, you know, their last name, you know, Colonel, you know, Smith or whatever. And uh, he uh, is buried in Virginia, and I was able to go to his grave and see a uh, stained glass window in a church dedicated to the character that I was really playing. And so I had this, uh, I felt a very strong uh, sort of allegiance to make sure that I did a, did him justice, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, on top of that, they stuck me having to, uh, work with uh, Stephen Lang, who is the greatest actor I've ever seen in my life. Oh, he's and, he's uh, great. Uh, the dude is so intense. And it's funny because I was literally one of the only people that even knew who, knew who Stephen Lang was whenever we went to Virginia to shoot the movie because he had played my father in a movie, a TV movie that I did called The Lemon Grove. And uh, he was intense in that movie. And that was just like some like ABC TV movie of the week kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, you know, he's intense. <laughs> and uh, so whenever I found out he was with Stonewall Jackson, I just immediately, I was like, oh, man, perfect. And then everybody else was like, who the hell is he? And I was like, oh, just trust me. You'll know. <laughs> you'll know when you see him. Jesus, of course, he shows up in all his glory and uh, full, you know, Stonewall Jackson regalia that he, he wore every day. Even when he wasn't shooting, he was always in the boots or the fluffy white shirt, always in character and just intense, really, really intense, you know, like really tried to become Stonewall Jackson for a while, really channeled him and whew, really did a good job. I, I certainly found myself uh, uh, just trying to emulate him in my performance and literally ripping him off, you know, going, man, I'm just going <laughs> to whatever he's doing. That's what I'm going to do because that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good person to emulate. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, something else I did want to ask, and, and this was something that I actually just recently watched. Uh, you directed a feature film called The Devil's Dozen. I did. Yes. And uh, and I, I just recently watched it, and uh, oh, good. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And what's funny is those types of movies aren't normally really my thing, but I thought it was really well done. Uh, the cinematography oh, was great. Thank you. Uh, what was cool about it and uh, the constant feel like from the very beginning with the opening 
uh, titles, the music, and just from the beginning to the end, you just feel, you know, uneasy. Good, good, nice. Yeah, it, it was it was a really tense, uh, really tense movie, and I, I won't give Thank away you. what happens at the end, but the ending was awesome. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, you know, that's the highest compliment you can pay me because I think that's the most difficult thing to accomplish in a movie. You know, uh, really, it's it's so many people have good ideas that start off with a bang and then sort of fizzle out. We call those uh, we, we, we call it being Shyamalan. I'm not Shyamalan. I wanted to make sure that I didn't do that. You know, I wanted to uh, deliver a punch at the end that really, really surprised people. And, you know, I, it, it was tough, man. I was rewriting every scene every day. We'd come to the scene, the set and I would hand the poor actors, you know, 10 pages that we were going to be doing for the day. And it would all be completely different from day to day. Cause I was literally constantly having to write the, the script as it went and make it evolve into, you know, which actors we had that day and all of this stuff. And, you know, one of our lead actresses, uh, Sophie Turner, the blonde, mm-hmm. she was supposed to be originally one of the last uh, few left. I don't want to give too much away, uh, but she wound up taking two vacations, like two vacations during our 13 or 14 day shoot. And uh, uh, really completely put me in a position of having to completely, absolutely rewrite the entire second half of the script uh, over the three day 4th of July weekend uh, that we had before we came back to work. And so when everybody get, came back to work, uh, they had a completely different movie with, which is what you see now, which is way better. So it mm-hmm. found itself. It, it, it was a blessing. It found its, it, the, the ending before was just, just a little, it was just very generic and vanilla and, and I wasn't that happy about it. I did. So, I basically, you know, I didn't write the original script. I, ba- I, I rewrote it every single day. We'd go in and we'd sit down with the a- actors in the fir- first two hours of the day. We'd spend just writing the script, writing the scene to where everybody felt comfortable with it. And then we'd put it on its feet and ex- um, uh, rehearse it for an- another hour. And then we would bring the crew in and start lighting it and everything. And so the first couple of days, every single day, and we had the advantage of shooting the movie in a linear fashion in the sense that we were able to shoot from scene one to the last scene almost in order, which is unheard of in movies. Yeah, absolutely. Completely unheard of in movies. But because we were locked into only one location for the most part, uh, we shot the flashbacks. All the flashbacks we shot a year later. So the the stuff in the room – we shot, you know, so we started off with 12 actors and then we'd have 11 and then we'd have 10 and we'd have nine and it went down the row like that. And we literally were able to shoot in that order, uh, which is very unusual. Um, but it allowed for the whole thing to almost play out like a play, you know, mm-hmm. like you could, like you could see, like it could be turned into a play if you figure out how to, you know, make the people disappear and all that stuff, right? You know, which isn't too difficult, you know, to do with the stuff that they can do these days. But you know, it, it, it to me, uh, uh, the, my challenge was I heard Quentin Tarantino said say something about it. Like, he said something else to the tune of like any monkey can make a movie. You know, uh, get, show 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 me somebody that can make an action movie in one room, and I'll show you a filmmaker or something like that. And so I was like, hmm, challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, I'll make an action movie that takes place in one room and makes you excited. You know, what I like about it is it's kind of like an edge of your seat thriller, and it really does kind of mostly take place in a 
in the one spot, you know, you do get to see into their minds and past experiences and the flashbacks and that kind of stuff. It takes you out of the room. So it keeps from getting too claustrophobic and we added humor to it to keep it from getting too heavy handed. And so I'm proud of it for what it is, for what it, for what it was, for the amount of money that the meager amount of money it costs to make it. Uh, I'm very proud of it. So thank you for watching that. I appreciate it. Oh no, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And it, what's funny is I was looking at the, the IMDP IMDB page to see who all was in the movie and as the movie's going, and th- this would give away the plot, so I won't mention the actor's name, but a certain actor hadn't shown up yet. So I was like, you know, what, what's, yeah. what's going to happen? And then yeah. when the end happens, I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's one of those uh, marketing things that distributors do. Obviously, uh, they're going to try to sell a movie based around the biggest name in the movie, regardless of how uh, much the movie, the, the movie is centered around that person. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, and it's, and it's maddening to the actors that are actually there doing the work every day. And the ones that are in the, like the leads in the movie. Uh, my wife currently right now is the lead in a movie called uh, girl in woods where she's brilliant in it. And uh, they, I'm in it and Charisma Carpenter's in it, and they, without fail, always basically say that the movie stars Charisma Carpenter, mm-hmm. and then and then me, and then my wife, who, uh, you know, is takes it in stride because she understands the marketing aspect, but, but she deserves for I mean, she literally she deserves for them to say starring Juliet Reeves, not Charisma Carpenter, but Charisma's brilliant in the movie. Uh, don't get me wrong, she just isn't in the movie that much, and the movie is about centers around my wife's character. And so it's just part of the business, you know, marketing. Now, did you and your wife, did you guys meet on a, a movie set? And like, how long has she been acting? No, no, she's, yeah, she, she's been acting for about 10 years or so, I guess. She's, no, we met on Twitter, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, she was friends with my brother, I should say, and he connected us and we connected through Twitter. Oh, very cool. Uh, so, but then, you know, we quickly just got each other's numbers and started texting and talking and we had a lot in common. She, uh, was going through divorce and had a son, uh, around the same age as my son and I was going through divorce and, uh, we, uh, bonded over that and had a lot in common and she's just a wonderful, wonderful, uh, person. And I knew from the beginning that I better hold on to her. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, moving on to Mallrats 2, which is, you know, coming up soon. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most about doing Mallrats 2? Oh, getting back with the gang, man. Just getting back with the, the crew and getting back on a, a movie set and being, uh, I don't know, you know, I guess being relevant again. I, I, I really have, I've been making, been on the writing and directing and producing end of it for the last couple of years. And so I haven't been really in the spotlight too much, which I don't miss at all anyway. I, it's just nice to be, you know, be nice to get back in the minds of the uh, the casting directors and stuff like that. But more than anything, uh, to just get back on the set and be with uh, be with everybody after 20 years, you know, it'll be a, just a fun reunion. And you guys are fil- starting filming in January, right? I don't think that's happening now. I think oh, okay. Things are pushing it a little bit. It's definitely going to be happening in the new year, but I think that there's some licensing things going on and just other things that I don't really know enough to talk about the a lot of it mostly just has to do with uh uh logistics and uh licensing and contracts and blah 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 people's timings people's availabilities all of the above you know what i mean i gotcha 
Uh, besides Mallrats 2, do you have any other uh, upcoming projects, like maybe movies you're directing or other movies you're going to be acting in? Uh, well, I am going to be directing a, a movie in the new year called uh, Monsters Anonymous. It's a short film. Uh, it's a really funny little movie about uh, sort of the classic monsters of Dracula and Wolfman and, and uh, Frankenstein they're all they're all in sort of group therapy together because uh, bummed up because they're not scary anymore. So uh, it's uh, awesome. a little, it's hysterical. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. So we'll be doing that in the new year uh, with my through my with my acting class. Uh, my wife and I have an acting class. We have a, uh, the London Arts Acting uh, Troupe or the London Arts Acting Studio, and uh, we have classes uh, in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, uh, on Tuesdays. Um, we're going to be expanding and starting to have more classes before too long. I'm writing a, a book right now for uh, basically it's a, it's a it's a book that teaches people how to teach children how to act uh, uh, called Animal Energies. Um, that's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to, to finishing that. Uh, it's just uh, methods that I've I've used for years teaching kids that work. Uh, that I, you know, uh, just getting kids to relate. Um, and it's fun to watch, uh, but I just, I love what I do now teaching is, as is probably more rewarding than anything I've ever done in my entire life. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, on the subject of your acting class, uh, a mutual friend of ours is actually, uh, in that class, uh, Jason Robbins. Yes. And Jason. he, he, uh, yeah, he's, he said nothing but good things. Oh, about the class. So shout out to you, Jason, if you're listening. Yes, very, very cool. Well, Jason's doing an incredible job. He's one of those guys that came into the uh, to the class uh, with more of sort of a theatrical idea of what acting is, and most people do. It's not uncommon. Um, and we've he's become a really very natural, uh, laid back, more. He's, he's becoming uh, an actor. It's a trip. It's it's awesome to watch. It's really cool. Yeah, Jason's a great guy. So um, yeah. it's cool to to see him succeeding at that. But uh, final question is, what is one piece of advice you could give to an aspiring actor or actress? One piece of advice that I could give to an aspiring um, the Well, in this day and age, people have more opportunity to put themselves in the limelight than they ever there ever was before with all of the different ways to access the business, you know, through actors access and all of these things, be getting on sets as extras, whatever it is, people, the, the opportunities there, people are making more movies and people, there are more opportunities to get into it. You have to be very, very proactive though. You know, you are your business. And so you're only going to go as far as you uh, push yourself. And that means getting on sets, doing everything that you can get into acting classes, uh, do whatever it takes uh, to learn as much about the business as you can, because there are a lot of surprises that come with it. The main one is that it's a lot of hard work. Uh, people, a lot of people think that getting into the, the, the movie industry is this glamorous, fun thing, and it's absolutely not. There are great parts about it, but it is a lot of hard work. And more than anything, it's a lot of sitting around and waiting, too. Man. You have to be very patient. And not a lot of people have that ability, you know, people get ants in their pants. And, uh, uh, so it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And so you have to have a very specific mentality to be able to even tolerate, um, what it takes to be on a set once you get there. And then you have a certain, certain mentality, I mean, a, a strong fortitude to be able to handle, uh, fame and any type of level that you get it and just always stay grounded. But more than, I guess the, the easiest 
way to cut all that down is just to do that. Stay grounded. Don't get full of yourself because, you know, it'll, it can go away just as quickly as it shows up, you know, just always remember where you came from and don't walk on people, uh, uh, in the process, you know, that's very good advice. And do you have any like uh, Facebook or social media or Twitter website, anything you'd like to plug? I do. Um, to follow uh, you? Yeah. Yeah. Please uh, follow me on Twitter at sir, Jeremy London. Uh, that'd probably be the best place. I don't really Facebook. I think my, uh, Instagram is J London 72. No, it's J M London 72. I believe <laughs> on Instagram. Um, you see a lot of pictures of my kiddos, um, on there and my wonderful life with my beautiful wife and, and my, my beautiful family. I'm very proud of, uh, Twitter. I'm a goofball. I tell a lot of goofy jokes. I use it as a sort of a bouncing board for writing. Um, I never really knew that I could actually write uh, funny stuff uh, until I started with Twitter, and it actually helps my write because I'm, I'm a screenwriter as well. And I actually, being on Twitter actually helps uh, helps me with uh, the creative process of any of my other writing. It's a it's, it's a pretty cool tool. Um, but I like me, I like talking to people, and uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, Twitter is the best way to go. So, Sir Jeremy London on Twitter. Perfect. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on the show and doing the interview. It was great. Hey, thanks a lot, man, and uh, best of luck to you. I'm looking forward to hearing about you uh, going on to bigger and better things as well. I'm, uh, I want to hear the interview. I'm glad to be a part of it. Thanks a lot, man. My thanks again to Jeremy London for that fantastic interview. It was a lot of fun getting to learn more about his career, and I can't wait to talk with him again at Pensacon coming up in just over a month. Next week will be part one of a two-part interview I did with Location Sound Mixer, Steve Baker. So if you want to get into the sound business, if you want to get into freelance work, you'll definitely want to check out this fantastic interview I did. It was so good it had to be split into two parts. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you would, please leave a review. Feedback is always good, and plus it helps me climb in the rankings on iTunes so more people will see this show. You can also follow me on social media, like the show on Facebook, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. The show's Twitter page is DDE underscore podcast. And you can also follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore diamond. And that does it for this week's show. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back next Thursday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.